Welcome to this week's edition of Good Books Radio. Audiobooks.com is the chief underwriter for Good Books Radio, which is produced by UTRGV Media Services for Rio Grande Valley Public Radio. And now, here's your host, Dr. John Cook. Welcome once again to another edition of Good Books Radio. I'm your host this week, Dr. John Cook. Good Books Radio is a product of University of Texas Rio Grande Valley as a public service to the university and public radio. With me today is Donald M. Stinson. Don Stinson is a graduate of American University and a former newspaper executive. After the collapse of the Soviet Union, he worked with newspapers in Russia, Slovakia, and Poland to establish a free and independent press. His accomplishments included being held hostage in a smelting plant, sleeping in an insane asylum guarded by sheep herders, and fighting a goat defending a lavatory door to, on a Russian airliner in Aeroflot. The goat won. He lives in Miami, Florida. Don, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, listen, I, I want to say for our listeners and for everybody, downstairs at the White House, the story of a teenager in the Oval Office and the ringside seat to Watergate, downstairs at the White House is one of the most delightful reads I've experienced in a long time. I, I think it's in part because I, too, was a college student during those Watergate years and was so focused on what was going on there, but also because you have a, a, a unique style uh, uh, it's self-effacing. Uh, it actually, I, I was calling it whimsical irony when I was telling someone else about it. Um, you were a, uh, an awkward teenager. You said your acne had acne. Uh, you obviously had a great deal of experience with perspiration during your time in the White House. I <laughs> did. Yeah. Um, so it was it was that kind of stuff that kept it fun as as you went through through your misadventures and sometimes you did things that I'm surprised you didn't get fired for. <laughs> so am I. <laughs> um, well, well, let's start, start at the beginning. beginning. You, 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 uh, you talk about an, an event, event that, that flashes, flashes back, back to the, the 70s that, that involved Charlton Heston and, and Bob Hope. Yes, tell, tell us about, about that one. <laughs> well, first thing I have to tell you is that most of all of this that's happened to me, including the, the things that happened in Russia, uh, and, and a million other things are all by accident. I'm, I've lived kind of a Forrest Gump kind of life, <laughs> kind of showing up in weird situations. I have no idea why that's the case. But in, in this case, I, I went to uh, uh, American University in the fall of 1972, and I, I was looking for a, a job. And uh, the only thing that was available at the time was to volunteer and, and uh, to try to make some contacts. So I volunteered with um, the... Uh, the, the Nixon campaign only because they were having to be closer by and um, and then eventually with the inaugural committee well a friend of mine and I um, happened to get some tickets to one of the inaugural events this is before I went to work in the White House and uh, we, we got some tickets to an inaugural event and uh, we had brought dates and we had neglected to feed them before because we were so broke so we went out to try to get uh, as many hors d'oeuvres as possible and stuff them in our pockets and our mouths and everything else like typical college kids. Well, on the other side of the room um, was Bob Hope and Charlton Heston. And this was actually, it was a, uh, it was a reception for Vice President Agnew, and, who I later worked for. And uh, so my date said to me, she was this lovely, lovely young lady, and she said to me, oh my gosh, that's Bob Hope and Charlton Heston. And my mother and I are the biggest fans of these guys. And, I, and so being, you know, ha, being an idiot, I, I decided, I, I said to her, well, I'll go over and, 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 and get them. 
And she said, oh, no, 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 I can't meet them. That, that, that's way too much. I said, ah, don't worry about it. So I walked across the room having no idea what, the, what on earth I'm going to do. And I, I walked up to them, and actually I inter, inter, uh, interrupted a conversation that uh, they were having. Hope was talking about the fact that he had just done his last uh, USO Christmas show in Vietnam. And uh, I introduced myself, and I said, I have this beautiful date over here, and she's a really big fan and, and the whole bit. And they said, uh, sure, uh, we'd love to meet her. And so I come across the room with Bob Hope and Charlton Heston in tow and my date, who was very wise to dump me right afterwards, <laughs> painted. <laughs> and uh, and then, then she looked up at them again, uh, and she almost fainted. Uh, one more time. They were incredibly nice gentlemen, though, and they signed everything that uh, would take ink. Now, that happened in 19, actually January 1973. In 1989, I was the advertising director, I was in the newspaper business, of the, the Desert Sun, the daily newspaper in Palm Springs, California. And my boss and I had gone to this uh, luncheon that honored Bob and Dolores Hope for their many years of community service. And afterward, Hope was sitting there by himself on the, on the dais, and I, I walked up and I introduced myself, and I said, I, I know you wouldn't remember me, but we met at this thing in 1973, blah, 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 blah. And, John, he looked at me and he said, you're the guy? <laughs> I said, what? <laughs> he said, you know, we all we wondered how this thing worked out over time. And I said, I, I can't believe that you remember. And he said, uh, he said, son, we've been laughing about you for the last 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to tell him that, that she dumped me immediately. So... <laughs> And she was a, a, a raving beauty with alabaster skin, and you, you referred to her as Snow White. I did. Oh, she was absolutely gorgeous. She was beautiful. I don't know how a guy like me ever got that lucky. But <laughs> and well, then I, it was just a few months, uh, about a month later, I ended up uh, going to work in the White House. Mm-hmm. And, and, and let's set the context there. You, you mentioned Vietnam. It was, it was at a, a peak during the Tet Offensive in 68, but there were still you know, tens of thousands of people in Vietnam well, during Nixon's administration until he finally pulled out. Um, and so Nixon's elected in 68, and um, he, he at that time said he had a secret plan to end the war, which didn't quite happen right away. Um, and then uh, uh, they worked on Vietnamization in the second term. Um, there was uh, so much social unrest going on around civil rights and women's issues and hippies and yippies and drugs. Uh, it was an interesting time to be involved with the administration. What struck me, and, and part of it's clear from the story you just told, is that you had a lot of chutzpah for a 17-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> they still say that when I, now that I'm 63. Um, I, you know, I, I, actually, I have to blame my father. Uh, of all the marvelous things that he taught me, he, 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 I, remember, I can remember very clearly right before I went off to college, he looked at me and he said, son, remember this they can't eat you and what he meant <laughs> what he meant was you know go shake hands with people and ask questions and do those kinds of things because in the end you know they might fire you but they can't eat you so take a risk so that's what i did and i've done that most all of my life you've taken a lot of risk i was also taken by the fact that you know those of us who were um protesting things at that time were part of the social unrest didn't think all that highly of Nixon or Agnew, but you really thought uh, that, that especially Agnew was a very nice man. You know, I, I think um, th- there's a difference when you get to know somebody. And he was, 
you know, I, I started working in the White House actually when I was 17. I, I had a uh, uh, top-secret security clearance before I was old enough to vote, oddly enough. And um, so by the time I was working, I went to work for him, uh, reading and answering his mail, I was, I was all of 18. Uh, my view was of someone who could, could say, at least to himself, I, I know the vice president of the United States. I mean, he would stop and he would ask me questions about school and uh, different things. And, and I, I, he, he always remembered me and he always remembered the things that I was doing. And I think that you have a different view of people when, when, you, when you know them. And as Watergate uh, roared on and there were people who I uh, had met or, or knew who had some involvement in it one way or another, I, I just think you have a different view. But he was extremely nice, um, and so was his family. And uh, uh, the, the, I mentioned in the book uh, an incident where, uh, uh, the, the, after he resigned, uh, we ended up having a there was a party that they threw at their home for the staff. Uh, there were about fifty of us between the White House and, and Capitol Hill, since he's president of the Senate. And uh, I ended up way in the late hours of the, uh, I guess early hours of the morning, sitting right across from. Him. Uh, on the floor with with uh, Bob Hope's nephew. Oddly, this this whole thing just keeps circling around, mm-hmm. and and some other guys in which he made the comment that he had never really wanted to be president, and that was just a surreal experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's your take? I mean, he 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 went with a plea bargain because of the charges that were uh, up against him. Um, and a lot of people really wanted him to be president, but he he finally took that deal so that and resigned. So, do, do you think he was uh, guilty of his charges? I, I don't think there's any question. I, I, the the you know later uh, the uh, Justice Department posted um, or many years later uh, in the internet they, they they posted all the documents, and you couldn't look through the documents and not know that he was guilty. Um, and so it was a shame because at the uh, the time I went to work for him, he was the leading candidate uh, for the Republican nomination in 1976. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk some more about context because when you were working in the White House, you were like golden because you knew how to operate the copy machine. And and back then, they didn't have copiers that fed papers and and collated and assembled, you know, the stacks like they do today. Right. That was the that was the copying frontier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, once you became for for people uh, in our age group, you remember the term key operator, mm-hmm. and and I was a key operator. I thought I was I I, I was the uh, the old phrase the cat's pajamas mm-hmm. Be- because I actually knew how to take the thing apart and put it back together. And uh, this was also the age of the rotary phone tethered to the wall long before answering machines or cell phones or any of that. And when you were looking for jobs, it was kind of important for you to be near the phone. Absolutely. Uh, And I had more than one problem (laughs) with that, including waiting. And I I talk about it it, when I lived in the uh, dormitory um, of of having nature call uh, very desperately and not being able to leave because I was expecting a phone call from a potential employer because there were no answering machines in those days. (laughs) Remember, you had to be there. So, um, you know, it was all a very funny period, and I think it's all made funnier by the lack of technology. Mm-hmm. That that we had at that time that put us in in odd situations. You also had the famous exploding car as your uh, automobile to drive around in the Ford Pinto. <laughs> yeah, I had a Pinto. That didn't say much about me. <laughs> 
um, that was, uh, you know, that was that was just a, a, a horrible um, <laughs> thing that Ford Motor Company had uh, foisted on the American people. And um, I, I, the, the nice thing about this car was that the, that the door, one of the doors, wouldn't close, and I had to tie it with rope. Uh, and so it was nothing but class and a death trap at the same time. Can't beat that for fun. Yeah. Now, now some of the people you worked with in the executive office building that you later learned you worked for the White House <laughs> didn't know that right away. Um, some of the people were very friendly and helpful, and and uh, even there was even a, a security guard that let you in certain places and got you access to see things that other people might not have seen. And then there were the hard uh, hardliners who uh, weren't very agreeable as well. Yeah, I you know I have to say that that I got away with a lot of stuff because I had acne and um, and I looked so young and and I was uh, that I was more like a pet rock than than, than, <laughs> than anything else. I mean, I was I was the kid that you know in many ways everybody knew but didn't necessarily know my name. Uh, I mean, I had the opportunity to go on uh, after I worked for Vice President Agnew to work in the East Wing for Mrs. Nixon. Um, all the way through the end of uh, Watergate and uh, the president's resignation and into the Ford administration. I mean, I got to be uh, the backup Easter bunny and and saw services that. But, you know, on the other hand, and what I've tried to do in the book is to, is to take those things that are poignant and those things that are funny and try to mix them together. Uh, because I was also there at the at the very end, including the night that Nixon gave his speech to the, to the nation that he would resign. Um, in fact, I happened in it was another Forrest Gump moment to help take out uh, the furniture from the Oval Office um, so that you could get those gigantic cameras back from those days in into the Oval Office for his speech that night. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, earlier that day, I made a major uh, mistake in running, literally, because I walked way too fast. I ran into Vice President Ford as he was going uh, to actually meet with Nixon in the Oval Office for Nixon to tell him that he was going to resign. And what did I say? Excuse me, Mr. President. I was only a day early, but I caught utter hell for it, and probably deservedly so. It was just—it was a Freudian slip. I mean, mm-hmm. you knew it was over. So. Well, and, and interestingly, uh, early on you, in, in the in the story, you talk about how, yeah, you had a job uh, with the executive branch, but you really thought the Hill was where the movers and shakers were, and you tried really hard to get over to to the Capitol Hill, uh, even meeting Sam Nunn. Um, who had a, a, a very impressive career after that. I mean, he was, he was early in his career in 72, but uh, uh, he never got to the, to the legislative branch. No, never did. They, they kept closing the doors on me as soon as my little face would show up. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't get in there, whatever. And so ending up working in the White House was completely by accident because I met somebody who wanted to give up a job that they had as a messenger working for an assistant to the president. And as you referenced, I, for the first, I, I got the job. And for the first couple of days, I didn't realize that I worked in the White House because I was in the old executive office building, and which is uh, a, a, it's all part of the White House complex. But I didn't realize. I mean, I was 17. I, I had no idea. And uh, But later on, you know, I kind of got the run of the place. And uh, at least on the, the first floor from the east wing to the West Wing and in, in, in the in the old executive office building, so I I was able to see a lot uh, and meet a lot of people who were absolutely fascinating, uh, including Frank Sinatra, who I spilled ice water on, and he forgave me. So 
I'm still around to talk about it. Yeah, fortunately, you didn't spill a lot of water on him because you no. know. <laughs> yeah. um, now, there were some, some people who had been around forever that you got to know and helped you get more of the run of the White House. What was, was his name, Jeff? The Yes, there was a... God, he was such a he was such a fascinating guy. He had come to the White House originally with Eisenhower. Uh, the short version of the long story is that he had been Bobby Jones' chauffeur in Georgia, the, the golfer, and uh, met D- Dwight Eisenhower uh, when Ike was playing uh, golf uh, in Augusta. And when the war started, uh, Bobby Jones suggested to Ike that he take uh, uh, Fred Jeff uh, Fred Jefferson as a uh, as a valet. And he served there, and then he went on to uh, he stayed in the White House uh, for uh, all the way into the Carter administration. He had seen everything, and one of the wonderful things that he did—he was a really wonderful man—is um, on the day, a couple of days before Nixon resigned, um, he 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 said he came down this little cubby hole that was in in the East Wing, and he said, "Come with me," and we and we walked up the stairs and we went into the East Room. And at that time, uh, Pennsylvania Avenue uh, was open to traffic, uh, and there were protesters and people blaring horns, saying, "You know, uh, honk if you should if if you should be impeached." And 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 it was it was just an incredible cacophony. And Fred uh, said, "I want you to look out there and and remember this." And I, and I looked out and I, I turned to him and I said, "Fred." Why did you bring me here? And he said, because you're going to remember this for the rest of your life because this is what a democracy looks like. Wow. And uh, he was, I mean, he was a butler the entire time who had this incredible view of history and, and had lived through an enormous amount of it. So he was, uh, he, he, he was terrific. In fact, all the guys that I worked with, by and large, um, many of them were butlers and then messengers uh, and did other, uh, you know, other kinds of jobs at the time. They were some of the kindest, nicest, classiest people I ever had the pleasure of working with, ever. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the others there was actually the inspiration for the movie The Butler, was, or was it Jeff? Yeah. Yes, um, Gene Allen. Uh, Mr. Allen, uh, you know, there was a formality in all of that, and it was, it was very classy. I, uh, I called him Mr. Allen since he was older. Uh, he called me Mr. Stinson. This is a matter of respect, and everybody would do that. And he was terrific. Unfortunately, that movie uh, had absolutely nothing. The only it had nothing to do with his life. The only similarity it had was that he was an Afri- African American butler in the White House. Mm-hmm. Uh, and outside of that, uh, none of the rest of it, the rest of it all was fictionalized. But he was he was he was just terrific. And uh, a, a lot of them, they, 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 you know, again, because I was a pet rock, I, I ate uh, in the White House kitchen um, more than once. <laughs> and uh, I get leftovers and those kinds of things. So it was a wonderful experience. And there's something like four kitchens in the, in the, in the White House. Yeah, um, in, including the one that some folks will remember where uh, there was a famous photo taken of President Ford making his own uh, – muffins in the morning. That was a big deal that the president uh, made made his own uh, food, and I, I used to go up there with a friend from time to time to help clean it up. I, I, I did a little bit of everything. and uh, um, But it's a, you know, it's, it's a very interesting place. It's a hotel uh, with that, you know, has guests in it, uh, very exclusive ones, obviously. It's a home, and it's also an office building, and it's an office just like any other office in America. The same kind of things go on. Mm-hmm. 
And um, according to an awful lot of testimony, it's haunted by people that have been there, from Dolly Madison to Lincoln to Lord knows how many others you mentioned in there. Yeah, I, I, I talked about a few of those because um, there's there's the uh, smell of, I think I recall that it was lilac, lilac yeah. uh, that, that followed that would all of a sudden show up, and, and that was associated with Dolly Madison, who, and there's this really cool ghost story about how she sat back in the 1850s. Uh, her spirit sat out on a porch in Lafayette Park across from the White House um, and would sit in a rocker. And it was well-reported in the newspapers at the time. Absolutely incredible. But there's a, a, yeah, there's, there are some people who refused to go in the Lincoln bedroom uh, because they had seen President Lincoln, and there was one story about how uh, uh, FDR's valet and Mrs. Roosevelt's uh, maid both went running out of the the Lincoln bedroom one day screaming. <laughs> and and <laughs> and to this day, there are many people that won't sleep in that room, right? Yeah, that's very true. Mm-hmm. Um, that that there are, you know, I, there's just something. Uh, I, I think part of it is the uh, just the the, the the history that's overwhelming. Um, but there are a million and one different stories, and many of them have never surfaced in the public. Mm-hmm. One I wrote about was was about someone, a Secret Service agent, uh, allegedly seeing the visage of President Kennedy and being very surprised by it and pulling his weapon, actually, one night. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's all sorts of stuff. Well, speaking of pulling his weapon, let's go, let's go to uh, uh, when a, a security guy saw a tall figure in the shadows and pulled his automatic weapon, and we almost lost President Johnson after we had just lost President Kennedy, right, within a few days. That happened as well. I, I talked a little bit about that. Um, the night of uh, President Kennedy's uh, assassination, um, President Johnson lived in a place called the Elms in northwest Washington. That was the, the, the estate, essentially, that he had. And at some point late in the evening, he decided to go out and just take a walk. And, uh, and, and so he, he headed out the door, and uh, a Secret Service agent, not knowing who it was, all of a sudden saw that, I mean, you know, everybody was on, on edge. I mean, I remember as a kid, but, I mean, you can only imagine how much everybody was on edge, and he lifted a machine gun right at, <laughs> at LBJ, who they said, you know, swallowed real hard, to, the, to say yeah. the least. So, yes, we almost, we almost lost President Johnson. In, in all of that. And, then, you know, that's one of the things that I try to put in the book. There's a, there's a million of these little stories, and, and they're fascinating in their own right of things that happened during that time, and I'm sure that, and, and they're obviously collecting, they, they've collected since, and they will collect again in the future, but all these little oddities of, of things that have happened uh, in, in that place and, and around the presidency that are just very funny. Well, uh, uh, another one that I found amusing was Nixon's uh, Wilson desk. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, the one that, that wasn't the – yeah, it belonged to a vice president, um, Wilson. Um, he, he thought that – and a lot of people thought that it had belonged to Woodrow Wilson, who uh, – he was a huge Woodrow Wilson fan, even had uh, uh, Wilson's portrait put in the cabinet room. And um, somebody one day figured out, no, that's not the one that President Wilson used. It was used by a, a vice president who ended up um, dying. He, he caught cold in a bathtub in, in the, in the uh, Capitol uh, and, and, and ended up 
dying. It, it, it's a very weird story. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but they ended up keeping the desk, and and I always thought that desk was probably bad luck because <laughs> everybody who used it had didn't have the best outcome. Yeah, Nixon had to resign, and uh, Ford didn't get a, a, a second term, and and Carter used it too, and he didn't get a second term. So, so Vice President Henry Wilson, who served under President Grant until he died from a chill in a bathtub, was the original owner, and that bad luck has followed him and his desk everywhere. And he does haunt the house too, doesn't he? Haunt the White House. Well, uh, yes, it's, that's said. That's said too. Um, and uh, you know, I'll tell you, the, the most interesting people to talk to. And, and I used to hear these stories from time to time because of all of the, 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 the gang that I hung out with were the people who worked late at night who would, you know, hear these things and see things that just were very, very strange. So I think there's a, there, there's some, there are some wonderful ghost stories about the White House mm-hmm. and the grounds. Yeah, I, I can well imagine. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if I finally saw my first ghost if I went to the White House at night there. So, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's such a delightful story, and it's a great read, and, and all the way through, and, and I really enjoyed it. But I did want to touch on the epilogue, which seemed an, an odd addition at the end, but was, uh, but really has four points that are really good advice. Listen, listen to your critics, but consider their motivations. Right. Uh, you know, these are just things that I think a lot of us have learned over the years, that um, not everybody is uh, sincere in the advice that they give you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and so the, what I did was it, it, this book, it's it's become uh, very surprisingly, it's, it's a bestseller in, on Amazon in two ca- categories. One's political humor, and the other one is for uh, young adults. And um, so I, I wanted to leave some things behind, um, a couple of thoughts about life, and that was one of them. Mm-hmm. When you take risks, don't depend on good luck. But you sure had a lot of good luck when you took your risks. <laughs> I did, and there's no there, there is no rhyme. <laughs> or reason for it, except the advice that I give to, to uh, every young person, which is just go out there and try something, because mm-hmm. you never know. Yeah. Most people are very nice to you. Read a lot. This is a good one, because today they were talking about how infrequently uh, 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 the closest aides to Trump feel that he, re- he reads so infrequently. Um, but but reading, I, I, I'm a retired professor as of Friday, but uh, I have always, thank you, I've always encouraged my students to read. That I, I say that those who really think read, and it's very important. Right. Um, and I, I try to make the case that they're also taller and better looking. But I, I, I can't back that up. But I do know this. I know everybody, everyone who I have ever known who has been successful in life has been a very uh, ardent reader, mm-hmm. uh, and that was advice I was given at a very young age. And I don't just mean successful in business; I mean successful in life overall. Because you just, I, I, I there is no to mean absolutely no substitute for the written word and the images that it, they form in your mind. And look for the moral in every story. Yep. What's the moral of downstairs at the White House? Well, it's, it's a, they can't eat you, and <laughs> and and I I have a story about. Uh, being frozen, almost frozen, when President Ford waved to me through a door that was closing to the Oval Office and waved me in, and um, and and I and I walked in, and I, I will I, I that's a story for another time, but uh, it's one of those things of you know they can't eat you, and every once in a while just 
walk into the Oval Office, <laughs> find one, <laughs> walk in, because you never know what'll happen. You never know. Such a delightful read. I'm I'm encouraging all of our listeners to pick up Downstairs at the White House. Uh, obviously, if it's a bestseller on Amazon, you can get it there. It's uh, published by Eastern Harbor Press. We've been talking with Don Stinson. Uh, about his years at the White House during Watergate. I remind our listeners that if you don't hear our regularly scheduled broadcast on uh, public radio, you can catch us on YouTube at Good Books Radio, Strong and Cook. I'm your host, Dr. John Cook. Thanks for listening.